There's actually uh, intriguing talk. You know, they talk about the news. And you have to respect them for that. You're listening to Right On Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. I'm joined by Christy. The tagline of the show is live right in the real world. We're going to expose the real world to you and you can decide how to live in it. And when we say news, views, opinions, and attitudes, we really mean it because I have an attitude against children being hurt. And today we're going to be talking about the state of Georgia. And it's funny, there's a whole bunch of people coming to me from the state of Georgia all of a sudden, and we have some firsthand eyewitness accounts of what's happening. So Christy, why don't you set up our guests and we'll bring them on right away. Well, Jeff, for those of you who know, I've been helping Megan Walsh with her case um, for Child Protective Services, basically coming in and snatching her babies. And um, in the process, I've been contacted by many other families and parents and everything. And so this is Sylvia and KK coming on today. And Sylvia and KK um, are part of the system in Georgia. Um, Sylvia was actually a worker in the, the system and she now houses KK, a young lady who is absolutely gorgeous, who aged out of the system, who otherwise would have been dumped on the street. So they are going to tell what really happens in a group home here here in Georgia. And I say here in Georgia because we're still in the United States and Georgia is really um, my home state. And um, this has happened not too far from where I grew up. And I find it absolutely sickening and disgraceful. And I will be sending this podcast to many other preachers and teachers in the area to inform them of what really goes on inside these group homes and what to watch out for, Jeff. So, And we might not have time to get the full story. So we're going to be doing a bit of an overview because we have a time limitation on today's show. Uh, but we're going to be bringing on KK and Sylvie. And just before we do, uh, as a reminder, there's been a lot of some confusion. Uh, we've always talked about My Liberty Stand. Stop giving your money to the cabal. Join our patriot movement. Uh, honestly, it's the best thing you can do for you and your family. Uh, but it's now called switchaway.com slash ROR. So if you haven't even just, just visit the website. It's absolutely free. Go to switchaway.com slash ROR and find out what all the buzz is about. And without further ado, let's bring on Sylvie and KK. Welcome to Right On Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for being here with us and being willing to tell your stories, because I think they're absolutely, from what Sylvia and I have discussed thus far, it's shocking that this is going on in America, much less in an area that I'm very, very familiar with. And I find it absolutely sickening. And so, Sylvia, um, I, I would like for you to start um, to tell, you know, how you became involved in in the system and um, how you and KK met. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it started out, I was mentoring uh, one of the girls at the group home, Else Aidmore, uh, and a position opened up for a staff member. And a lot of people don't realize, but you don't need a degree to work in uh, group homes. Um, I didn't have a degree at that time. I'd worked in travel in the past. And I started working there. My shift was uh, starting Friday in the afternoon at three and ended on Monday 
at 3 p.m. So I had a 72 hour shift, uh, which was really helpful in understanding the girls and uh, and working with them. So we I slept there. I, you know, I taught them how to cook and everything. But what I liked about that shift, it was exhausting. But what I liked was that I got to know the girls and see their growth. Um, and KK came in. Um, KK was considered a runner when she came in. Runners, um, they run away all the time and you get a little bit more money for that. Um, so she was considered a risk. And when she came in, she came in late at night, around 10 o'clock at night. And it was because when they picked her up, she ran. <laughs> so they had to get her and bring her in. <laughs> and we were uh, told that she was a risk to watch out for her. And uh, the information they gave us on her was we thought she was going to be arrogant and rude. And and she wasn't. She came in smiling and um she did run one time, but um, we'll talk about that later. But that's how I met KK. Um, and then we just, you know, it's just gone from there. And that was in 2015. I think that was 2015, right, KK? Yes. So, KK, how, how do you end up in a group poem? Can you give a, a summary of your story and how you even ended up there? Um, so, basically... Um, so basically my, my story is um, I was not born in this country. I was born in New Delhi, India. Um, I don't really have no like background information of my biological parents. I don't know my actual birthday. So really, I don't know too much about myself. The only thing I really know is basically being stranded alone and trying to find my way back home and I ended up getting picked up by an Indian police officer. He took me in and put me in the orphanage. And then um, I got adopted by this organization called Hope Worldwide through my uh, adoptive family's church. And I got adopted at the age of four and I came to America and then I was with my family from four to 15. And then um, like around, I wanna say, I think it was around middle school going, uh, going on to high school, like freshman year, um, there was a lot of like abuse going on and um like sexual abuse from your adopted parents yes from my adopted brother like okay. none of my uh none of my uh parents had kids they have all adopted us so it was like uh my older sister uh me and my little brother we were all adopted from india and my older brother was adopted from here in georgia so my parents never had any uh kids and, and so, uh, so your parents are good people they didn't know about this or anything like that well, it's not that they didn't know about it. I was too scared to tell them because in my mind, I was scared that they thought that I was going to lie to them because growing up in their household, I was a very like, you know, troubled child. Like I was very rebellious. I didn't really always follow the rules. And I think part of it was just because I just saw a lot of favoritism and just things like that. And I just started acting out and then the abuse started happening too. So you know, I was in that mindset of like, do I tell my parents? Will they believe me? I don't want to lose my brother and all these different things I was going through yeah. my head. And then finally just got to that point where I had enough because abuse went on for about three to four years. And I just eventually told somebody from and, my and church. How, how old was your brother at the time who was doing this? Well, my brother was literally the same age as me. We're only like, what, nine months apart. So it's not like he he is younger, but we're basically really close in age we're okay. about the same like age and and was it like a violent uh attack on you or 
I don't, I don't, I, mean, I don't need to get the details uh, as much. Oh, no, I, I mean, it wasn't like he forced me against my will, but it felt like it was. But it wasn't like he pushed me. Like I, I don't know. Like really, you were uh, like coerced into it. In other words, yeah, in a way, yeah. And, okay. Um. So that's basically what happened, and then I started running away from my adoptive parents. And eventually, you know, uh, since I kept running away, uh, I ended up having to talk to one of the defects worker and they had to sit down with me at my school, ask me why I was running away. And I told them and then they're like, oh, well, if you keep running away, we're going to put you in foster care. So that's how I got in foster care. And because of the whole abuse going on, I stayed in the system. And then I went to a foster home. A lot of favoritism was going on there. I ended up getting kicked out and then I went to a group home and then uh, I didn't stay there for that too long. And then that's uh, that's when I came to Elps and that's when I met Miss Sylvia. So I have a question regarding the fa the favoritism. Can you give us an example or a couple of examples of like what favoritism was like? Uh, favoritism was more like she would give the the boys more freedom than the girls. Like okay. she, she would allow the boys to do whatever. Like if we wanted to do something, it was typically like, no, you can't do this, da da da. And like if the boys wanted something or they wanted to go out, they wanted to do things, she always told them, yes, you can do it, you can do it. And just it was always so harder for us to do things that we wanted to do. So that's what I mean by favoritism. She allowed okay. them to do whatever they wanted to do. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, in defense, I, I, you know, I come a little bit older school and, uh, you know, I only had a daughter, um, yeah. but, I, but I honestly think that if I had a son and a daughter, I would have probably given more freedom to the son because I would be so yeah. protective over Me my too. daughter, <laughs> right? You know, right, because, right. because I know the boys are out there roaming and, you know, uh, and, and listen, let's, let's face it, uh, you know, it's. The, the, the published statistics are one in four girls or women are sexually abused. One in yeah, four. Right. And if that's published, I suspect it's even higher. Yeah. Right, right. I get that. But, I mean, my thing is, like, it's just that, you know, kids are, like, the women, like, the females are already going through a lot, too. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I get it. It's, it's different for a boy than a girl because, you know, girls typically be more of you know like you got to protect them but it's like i don't know sometimes you gotta let girls learn too you know like i mean i get it it's more of the protection thing too but well listen you know, but but you can you can teach how to be safe and and listen i i'm good i, I want to state publicly that i think that's wrong uh to do it that right, way right. Uh, right i really do think it's wrong but uh, before I knew what I knew now and even all these different things, you know, that's probably the attitude I would have had at the time. Right, and right, so yeah. I just wanted to, to state that because it's not that yeah. uncommon, yeah. Uh, but right. it's not, it, it doesn't make it right. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your story. So you ended I up in the group it. home, um, ended up in the group home, right? So tell us about that. Uh, Elks, right? The last placement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, well, did you um, go somewhere else first? Did, were you were in the foster system? So were you in? Well, like, I, 
I was at a foster home first where the favoritism and all of that was going on. And then I eventually getting, I got kicked out because uh, the other girls, they were trying to get her house shut down and they didn't really like the rules that the foster mom was putting in place. So she thought that with me being around them, she thought that I was like the ringleader. So she took it out upon herself to be like, oh, well she did it, so I'm gonna get her out. So that's what eventually happened for me is why I got moved out. And then I went to another group home before I went to Elks. That group home, like I said, it wasn't really much going on. Not a lot of favoritism, nothing. People just typically just stay to themselves. But then at Elks, that's where I just saw everything, like pimping out, gang initiations, me getting in a fight, uh, girls liking me, girls liking other girls. Cause you know, you're pretty much around a whole bunch of females the whole time. Like the only time you really saw boys were at school. That was really it. Mm-hmm. Not like you really were around boys all the time. So that's what that that's why, you know, a lot of the girls typically liked each other and, you know, did stuff. But like me, I just stayed away from that. Like I'd still, you know, try to give the females advice and be there for them, but it was only so much I could do that I had to also protect myself and make sure, you know, nothing was gonna happen to me either. So you know, I just separated myself. I exercised. I stayed uh, faithful to God. Um, Sylvia was one of my good support system, and I had some other good support system there too. So, um, that's pretty much a little bit what really going on at the group home. It was really like a every day wasn't a a normal day. There was always something new going on. A fight breaking out. Girls acting out. Girls skipping school. Girls doing whatever that they wanted to do. So it wasn't your average day where you were like calm and everything was fine. It was always something going on, always something going on. So Sylvia, what did you notice during this time? Like when, when things were, were you there when she first came in? KK first yeah. came in? Okay. Yeah. When first KK came in, when she first came in, we were a base placement and that's like your base kids are, uh, they're not, they don't have as much trauma. And then they changed it to an MWO, which um, you get more money for, but they are also more trauma. So they have more trauma. They're sexually abused. I worked with sex traffic kids, sexually abused kids, gang gang members, um, kids coming from lockdowns. And that's what she's talking about is that there was no normalcy in this. And and this was something that the staff didn't, didn't agree with either. Uh, and it's because there was only two of us. Okay, so it was me and another another staff member. And you have like 12 girls. So mm-hmm. imagine that you have 12 girls that come mm-hmm. from different backgrounds, different trauma. And then also what happens with sexually abused kids is that they become predators. Um, and the reason that they become predators is because they're, it's like a um, their body be uh craves sex and uh so when they can't get it they um they become predators on other kids um so um the the normal day was you know like like she said fights you know we're constantly breaking up fights and those those can be really dangerous and then uh runaways there was runaways daily um and people don't really understand what happens when there's a runaway so, um, 
whenever there's a runaway, you call it into your local police. You do not call 911. You report it as a runaway. They are put on a, uh, a like a bolo system where they're just looked for. They're not, they're not, there's no search party. There's no missing report. There's no Amber alerts. Um, and the way that the system is, is that if a, if a child says they want to leave, you cannot physically stop them. As a staff member, you cannot stop them. They can literally walk out the door. And if you put your hands on them, you catch a charge. So these kids knew that. So they would say to your face, you can't touch me. Put your hands on me. You know, so, so you, you, you literally had to let them walk out. And then you would call the police and you, I would always follow them. I would always get in the car and follow them and try to get them to come back with me is what I would do. Yeah. But they, but they're smart. I mean, like they, they take off running for the woods. If you don't catch them within the first two miles, they're gone. And I can't tell you how many kids I never saw again. Um, and what happened with those kids. So that's another thing people do not understand. If you've done research on sex trafficking, 88% of kids sex trafficked come from the foster system. But it is because they make it so easy for these kids to walk out and disappear. It is very easy. Well, that's the point I wanted to pick up on. Uh, that's by design. They want these kids out there. And mm -hmm. they want those kids to become predators. They want them to... Because the system is self-perpetuating. So first right. of all, if they commit a crime, they come back in and mo more people make money, right? right. You know, be damned with the kid's life for out trying to help them out. It's it's almost like, an, and I'm not against ha the, the fact of having a group home, but a group home, it shouldn't be a prison, but it should be a home. And if right. you're in a home, there are rules in a home. Right. Like, you know, my kid couldn't just leave and do whatever she wanted to. And neither could Christie's. Right. You know, because the home has rules. And if you're going to be there. But it sounds like the setup here is that uh, they know that there's no rules. So, no, no, Sylvie, you can't touch me. You can't stop me. I'm going to go out and do whatever the hell I want. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. But this right. is by design, folks. Yeah, it definitely is. And and the other thing I'm really, you know, that concerns me about what you've just said is there's a different system that you as a worker are call calling police officers. So therefore there's no 911 record um, for these missing children and they are not looked for. They do not go in the system. So America thinks when a child goes missing, they're going to get an Amber alert. That's what we've been taught. That's what yeah, we've been well, brainwashed to believe. That is not the truth. And everybody just needs to know this because it's really, really important, you know, and we shouldn't have to wait, you know, even hours to report a missing child. When you know a child's missing, they mm -hmm. know that they're, you know, that the minutes count, you know, the first few minutes of the missing report counts and, that's when they should be acting. And the, obviously we know that they don't. Um, well, a lot of us know that they don't now, but I think the mainstream public believes that they're going to get an Amber, Amber alert on their phone. So that's the first thing people need to know is you're not going to get an Amber alert for these foster children that go missing. So that's the reason you never really know about it. You never know that they were missing to begin with. 
um, and right. it's not on public record. So Sylvia, speaking of that, what could people do in terms of FOIA requests to find out how many missing children have gone missing in there or, or, you know, number one, how many foster slash group homes are in their neighborhood? Because I imagine the, these homes are in the neighborhoods and people don't even know that they're there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're all over. I don't, um, I honestly think it's the system that needs to change. Um, and it, it, I don't know if an Amber Alert is, it could start with the, the answer, but why is it so easy for these kids to walk away and why aren't they searched for like, what, like, why are they just, you know, and then yeah. they're only given, um, else Aidmore only gave them 10 days to return and then their bed was given up. And a lot of times they would return, uh, and it, but it was because of weather conditions. So if it was cold, if it was raining, um, things like that. The other thing is, is else Aidmore is like in a place where it's not very, it's, it's like in the, there's not a lot of uh, traffic or roads or anything. It's, it's a rural area. So uh, and there's only like one place that the kids would go to to use the phone. And that's where I would go to because I would know that they got to get to a phone because they're going to get to a phone. They're going to get to uh, somebody. They're going to call somebody to try to pick them up. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, then so, they get, and then were they also trying to bring back drugs for other for other other people like in the group home? I mean, there was uh, a few times where. They would bring back drugs, but that, that, that's another story. Okay. So there was this, uh, God, KK, I don't know if you remember this, but there was this guy that lived close to the school. So the school was right next to the group home. And there was this guy that lived close to the group home, uh, close to the Which school. Which school is this? Can we say what school it is? So that way people yeah, realize it's, this uh, is in your backyard. Her Heritage High School Heritage. in Conyers, Georgia. In Conyers, Georgia. Okay. Yes. yes. And so this guy, now staff knew about this guy from the girls because he was uh, a sex offender and he had these bando houses where he would have other kids go into the school and he would have them bring girls to his house and he would give them drugs and they would uh, so they would like disappear sometimes after school and they would go to his house and then they would come back i even had one girl take me and show me where the house was um uh, we have and we notified law enforcement. Law enforcement knew. They they just never did anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this guy, and, and I think a lot of the girls, you know, would go to his place when they would run away. Mm -hmm. But he was right there and he made it very convenient. He offered them food. He offered them drugs. He offered them everything. Um, but that was another issue that we had uh, that was right there at the school. Um, so speaking on drugs now, KK can tell you something about her roommate that she experienced. I know that. Yes, please. KK. Tell um, me. so I had a, a roommate that I didn't know she was, I don't know if it was heroin or what it was. Cause like I said, this is my first time ever experiencing any of this type. Like, I mean, I've been around people who smoke, like they, you know, weed, but. I've never really been around people who've done like hardcore drugs. So I just noticed that she would get needles and stab herself. And like, you know, I would try to get her to stop. But then I, 
I had to tell because it was not safe for me and it wasn't safe for her. So I don't know if it was heroin or not. I just know she was stabbing herself with needles a lot. So that was one thing I had witnessed. And then another thing that uh, I had to witness is uh, basically the same roommate. She was GD and we had another girl that wanted to be basically a uh, pyru, which is a set of blood. And obviously, I don't know if people know too much about gangs, GDs and bloods don't get along. And she wanted to basically, you know, change over, not really completely be GD, but like being the middle ground of GD and blood. So basically- What does GD stand for? Uh, yeah, I was gonna disciples, say- yeah. Gangster disciples. Okay. And, um. So yeah, my roommate was like, well, no, you can't do that. Like basically what is considered is called black cherry, where it's like you're black and then red, like the colors combined together. So that's why they call it black cherry. Mm -hmm. And at the time I wasn't, I was affiliated because of my ex. He was teaching me some of these things. So I felt like I was in the gang, but I really wasn't. Um, I was just affiliated. So like I told my roommate that claim to be GD and yeah like my roommate was upset she's like no she can't be doing that so she came to our room and we had a gang initiation going on meaning like we had a fight like she she fought me so she hit me and then I ended up hitting her like I ended up punching her in her nose because I had to protect myself because she harmed me first and Sylvia didn't know that I was going on um one I didn't tell her or any of the other staff you know I just basically like played it off and act like nothing happened when obviously something did plus at that time they were already dealing with like a fight or something else going on on the other side of the um uh cottage so there's like two sides i was on the opposite side and they were on the other side so eventually one of the girls ended up telling sylvia what happened and you know I didn't end up going to the hospital or anything because I just I didn't want to go. So that's basically some of the things I've experienced. Being let, in let me home. let me ask you a couple of questions about that uh, because okay. I think it, it really feeds to the story. Um, first of all, with the drugs, this girl was using needles. Right. What would happen after she would inject herself with a needle? Well, I didn't really. I honestly, I mean, I didn't really witness too much like i said i don't know if it was heroin or she was just stabbing like, herself would she, would she, she fall asleep suicidal. after taking it or or well, would she like i said function? i think she was still functioning but i think when that happened i ended up telling so i left the room so i don't know exactly what happened okay. like i didn't want to be around that i just I'm like, yeah, that's freaked me out so i'm gonna so go away it, and it let sounds the staff like, handle it sounds it. like it was probably speed to be honest Probably. and yeah and so where where do you think would she have gotten these drugs from the gangs uh well probably she had people that she associated with part of the gang and then people from school because like i said it's open access and you know it's easy to use someone's phone or borrow their phone be like hey can i like text somebody real quick can i call somebody real quick or you know like if they know that person's number by heart, they would just tell them to like meet them up at the school. Cause you know, that the school was the only time you weren't around staff or, you know, the people from the yeah, yeah. homes. So but you could get away also, with it. There's, there's a cost to these types of drugs. 
right? Right. So, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't know what the costs are, but I assume like heroin and speed and anything that goes into a needle is probably more expensive than a little bag of pot. Right. right. So are, when you're part of the system, are you getting an allowance or something like that? How do, how does money come into play? Well, we did have allowance by doing our chores and, you know, behaving, but it wasn't really a lot of allowance. I'm, I'm guessing how some of the girls have got it is, you know, just offering their bodies, really, because that's what typically, you know, what men want, you know? And I mean, I don't know, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't too like so focused on that. So I don't really know exactly how the girls got it. I'm pretty sure it's probably through sex. Um, They probably had like a boyfriend or somebody to pay for them or someone to cash up them. Um, like I said, I don't really know too much. So they but. still have you still have phones and you have Cash App. You have many ways of like communicating <clears throat> to get money. Is that right? No, I mean they would uh, borrow people's phones. Then they would sneak the phones in. They would yes. sneak it in. Well, okay. yeah, I can answer that. So basically, they were not allowed to have a phone when they come in. But I have had girls say that every girl had a phone, even when they didn't weren't supposed to have a phone, and they would have hiding places. And they would have, uh, and then there were some instances uh, where, like, she would say, because you have to, uh, um, when kids are sexually abused, sex is not looked at the same way as a normal person views sex. Sex is just, it's, there's no attachment. There's no, so yeah, they do give up their body very easily for things that they want because it's just easy. I mean, like, that's how you, it's like what she said. That's what men want that's what especially they want want sex too i mean you're saying like too that they're you know because of their the backgrounds their their body craves it and it doesn't and it it doesn't they're not viewing it the same way as a normal person views and that's why they have so much problems with relationships and uh things like that i mean it goes so deep but um that is is part of that a problem in these homes no, they make them have a, a um, what's the, where you put it in your arm? The, a depo? Yeah. Uh, no. What's, do you know what I'm talking about, Christy? Yeah. They, um, the, it's basically like a. It's a birth control. It's a birth, so, yeah, yeah, depo a birth control in the arm. Jacket. Depo. Is it depo? depo? I don't even know what it's I don't remember the, the name of it. So it's like the pill, but it goes in your arm? No, it's actually like a, it's like a. It's like a patch, let's just say. Mm-hmm. That, I thought it was um, called a depot shot or something. Um, I don't know if it's a depot shot. Uh, somebody in the comments. Yeah, yeah say, somebody in the comments. Does anybody know the it's name? It's basically of that. a patch that you have to wear on your arm, or it, does it go under it the skin? It goes under your skin. Under skin. It goes yeah. under so your skin. They can't even take it out, Jeff. This can't even be taken. Oh, out. they're 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 forced to be sterilized. Yes. During this time. If so they're. They can, Mm-hmm. If they're sexually active, yep, they're put. They're put what on. What if they're not sexually of- active? What if they say that they're not sexually active? <laughs> I refused. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, I basically so, like I remember, like at first I thought it was forced, but so like, basically there were when I first got in the system, I, you know. They made everybody get on, like either take a shot or take a pill or take the the, the thing that y'all are talking about where they have that little patch. But then yes. I literally just refused. I was like, no, it's 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 not helping me function properly. Like I felt 
uh, nauseous all the time. I felt very weak. So, you know, I just told him, no, I'm not doing that no more. Because I yeah. would just tell him, I'm not having sex. I'm not doing nothing. And uh, that's just how I got away, like, got away with it. And with, with plus, food. I was active and doing stuff. Like, I, I was on the sports team. I was doing things where it wasn't like I was always having sex. You know, I was doing good in school. I was exercising. I played sports. I joined clubs. And I just did different things to, like, not make them want me to be on that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So in other words, there is a difference. Like you can, they do treat different situations differently. Um, well, they have levels. Okay. So well, if I you, complied. If, yeah. yeah. If you, so it's, it's a level system. It's, it's basically like a prison system. So yeah. if you work your way up, so KK, KK was compliant. She was, um, do you remember the levels, KK? Um, I mean, it was really just level one, two, and three. That's really it. Or if you it were would be like A, B, C, D. A, B, and C, D. It was letters. It was A, B, C, D. So if you were on the highest level, uh, then you you had permission to go. Like she could walk the campus without staff. She didn't have to have staff around. She could walk out the door without our permission. Like if she she would just have to say, I'm going for a walk or whatever. And she did a lot of walking. She uh, would put her headsets in and she would just walk. I mean, and that's how she stayed out of the drama because there's so much drama in there between the girls, them fighting each other, them stealing each other's stuff, them, uh, oh my God, it goes on and on. Stealing, you can't leave your money in there. Uh, but so there's levels. So she was on that level and that's like a trust level. So like your level A's, they're not going to be able to go out without staff permission. And then the other thing that she was talking about, like with the gang initiation that she experienced, they would have distractions. So there's only two of us, remember. Mm -hmm. And you're basically girls. the parents. Let's just say you're kind of right. the parents. You're the two moms, right? Like right. I mean, basically you're kind of fulfilling the role for 12 girls two moms and i'm gonna say that's extremely difficult especially right. girls yeah. and especially if you have a so the the way the house was up it, you walked in and it had a living room and then a rooms on this side and rooms on that side so that's what she's talking about there was a hall here and a hall there she was on this side of the hall they start a fight on this side of the hall while we're dealing with that fight they sneak into her room so mm -hmm. we didn't even know that it happened because we were putting out another fight yeah. And then she kept complaining about her head hurting. And then one of the other girls, you know, they, if they trust you, they'll come tell you what's going on. So they were like, Hey, the reason she's has a headache is because they just did a, a gang initiation. They hit her over the head. So I was like, Oh my God. So I'm like, crap, does she have a concussion? Do we need to go to the doctor? Like I'm sitting here going like, okay, what's our net? And I'm like, do you mm -hmm. feel like you need to go to the hospital? And she's like, no. And she doesn't, she was the type that wasn't going to snitch. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't going to snitch on what happened. So if, mm -hmm. if somebody hadn't come and told me, then we would have never known. But she didn't want to go to the doctor. Um, and, then, uh, and then I basically told that girl uh, to leave her alone. And that's what I did from there. Then on was I was constantly like, leave her alone. Don't go near her. She is not part of your gang. She does not. And, and I did protect KK a lot in that way from some of the other girls. 
but yeah, I imagine as a, as a worker, I mean, I'm not saying you play favorites, but when you see somebody that's actually trying, you are right. more apt to want to help them and, and keep them safe. Um, so this does sound like a prison system, obviously. So Sylvia, in your opinion, um, what, what would you have done differently if you had, you know, knowing KK's situation from the very beginning, if you had either been the parent or even the system itself, what would you have done differently? Not put those types of girls with the, like, not put those types of girls together. Like, um, and maybe more staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More, uh, like, there's no, there's no, there's no fence around this place. There's no guards around this place. There's no, um, I think it, I think it needs more staff, uh, type of girls, um, and just like nurture, like you can, you don't have any nurture in there. Yeah. More staff for sure. Because that these are, these are kids with problems. They're from broken backgrounds and, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and nurturing. I, I love the word you brought up to really help a child come into some normalcy, especially when their foundations were were rocked. And, and you know, a lot of these kids feel rejected. They feel uh, they've been abused, uh, you know, moved from home to home. And they're told they're no good by some people, uh, including in the foster system. And I know that happens. Um, they're showed favoritism, you know, and uh, so a lot of foster parents and, and God bless some of the people who do fostering because I think a lot of people do it out of the kindness of their heart. And I've considered doing it uh, as well. But there's also people who just do it for money. Right. right. And that's the wrong motive because you right. have you're taking you're taking responsibility for a person's life and you want to be able to sow into them in that time. And, you know, uh, there's just so much. But. I think w one of the things that's uh, w right before we went on air, and I, I hope I'm okay to say this, but uh, your relationship with KK has obviously continued, Sylvia. And uh, so it's it's kind of a good uh, ending in this particular case. Can you tell me where your relationship is with KK right now and what you're doing with KK? And then I'll get yeah. KK to respond as well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, like I said, before we came on, when they age out of the system, they drop them on the streets. Um, so I, I, you know, I said, KK, I want you to make sure that you have a secure place, you know, so she does stay with me. And then we're also starting a program. It's called uh, rescuethefosters.org. And our hope is that uh, people like we can offer services for people that are aging out of the system. And just to offer them like, like, like job skills and job, you know, how to apply for a job so they don't stay on the streets. And, uh, you know, I would really love to have a, a housing system. I don't know if that, you know, what that will entail or what that will be in the future. Um, but if anyone would knows and would love to help and like this is something new we're starting ourselves. <laughs> And it's called rescuethefosters.org. Mm -hmm. And we're in the middle of putting up the uh, the website and the logo. So we're, we're brand new on this. Uh, we have started a GoFundMe, which is basically to help get it, the organization up and running. Uh, but then it's also to help uh, provide services. And that's for families fighting CPS. 
the one thing that I noticed is that if we had less kids in the foster system instead of more, the system would work. But uh, the way that it is right now, it's overran and there's not enough workers. There's not enough foster parents. There's not enough homes. There's not enough services. Um, and the kids aren't being uh, serviced and, and they're just going out into the streets. Well, Sylvie, so one thing, and I didn't know about rescuethefosters.org, but uh, mm -hmm. this actually ties in really, really well with something that I plan to be launching uh, September, October. And uh, I think there's an opportunity for us to work together. On oh, that this. would be uh, awesome. I, I really uh, think that that's such a beautiful thing because these kids literally do get dumped out on the street. And uh, actually, KK, let me pick up on that point with you. So you age out of the system and that age is what, 18, I guess? No, I aged out of the system at 21. At 21. You you can, yeah, you can have the option to age out at 18, but since I didn't really have like a steady plan, I made the smart route to just continue being in the foster care system. And um, so I stayed till 21 and then I finally aged <laughs> out of the system. And, and and so when you age out, they just literally you get walked out of a door and that's it. Like you're out on the street. I mean, basically, that's how it feels, because it felt like the money that I saved uh, for it, it, um, it didn't. I basically had to use that same money that I saved to pay off like my um, I had to use that money to basically pay off my uh at the time I was living in, a, in an apartment and I basically used that money that I was saving to pay off my lease. So I didn't get no money back. So, so, so how, like much, how much money could you have saved up by that point in time? If it's okay for me to ask. Well, I had at least like two or three grand and I had to pay like money. I had to pay it off. So at the end I was only left like literally like 500, $600. So yeah, really so two or like three grand in the real world would last you, like you could live on it in America for, you know, a couple months maybe if you're really frugal, but it, it's not going to go far. And and by the way, I, I think it's impressive uh, that you were actually able to save up that much money uh, in right. the situation you were. I, I, I say congratulations to you, and that is really yeah. a statement of your character and, and your ambition and... Uh, and, and by the way, you had mentioned early on, uh, you have a relationship with God. Yes. yes. Tell me about I, that. So, well, basically the reason how, like, I knew about, you know, you know, uh, God is basically, uh, my adopted parents, we grew up in the church. So I already knew about Jesus and, you know, like repenting and just forgiving and all of those things. So I grew up already in a Christian background. So, you know, I was a lot more fortunate than other kids just because I had a little bit of experience with having a relationship with God. Do you think so, that that helped carry you through the whole experience? Yes, it did. Because I believe that if, it, if I didn't have that relationship and the good support system that God provided, I don't really think I would have made it out honestly and i'm grateful for that that I yeah you could have ended up being a gangbanger or you know yes. selling your body <laughs> i mean you just yes. listen that was flirting all around you you had drugs yes. you had gangs you had 
you know, you were even an affiliate, so you danced with the devil a little bit there, but yes, uh, I did. I but did. you never got inside. There was something holding you back, and uh, because I'm sure it was kind of like the cool kids okay. went in there. You know, I, I know what it's like in in those circumstances when you're younger, and uh, you know, the people gangs. There's a protection around you. There's a sense of power, and those things are alluring to young individuals, right? Uh, both male and female. So. Uh, I just, I just think it's, I'm impressed by you, KK. And I, and I'm also very impressed by you, Sylvia, just, you know, for you to open up your home and to continue this relationship and you started out mentoring and ended up in, uh, in position in the home. Uh, and now you continue on your mentoring. So, um, by the way, I call it discipling. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Not gangster disciples. Like, uh, right. Hey, you know, I, have, I have one question for for KK before she has to go back to work. That's pretty important. May I ask you, KK, what if you know now what you knew then when you were with your adopted parents, what would you have done differently? Oh, good one. Um, I think, well, honestly, I think what I would have been different is I guess open up more, at least try to. But part of the reason why I never really opened up was I just never really felt close to my parents. So I would I would try to, you know, find people I was felt more comfortable talking to. I guess really just speaking up more and actually talking to my parents versus just not talking to them and feeling closed off. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really it. Like, do you have a relationship with them now or no? No, actually, I, 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 I don't. Uh, they really don't want nothing to do with me now because I am speaking up about what I've experienced. So now mm-hmm. they chose to chose to really push me out, and that's fine. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it is. What no, that's it is. fine. Right. That's it is. Fine. It is what it is. Either way, that's right, honey. And listen, I mean, Pray just. For them. Yeah, we will pray for them and pray for maybe them to, you know, because obviously the way I look at it is they wanted you at one point. And, you know, I think that's that's something. And um, we'll pray for them to, you know, possibly come back around in your life in some way, you know, whether it's just as a friendship or forgiveness or whatever it is, um, and then pray for you as well. And so I want to invite both of you on to the sing and pour prayer. Um, we have on right on radio on telegram on Wednesday and Saturday nights at yeah. is it seven, seven or eight, Jeff, I, I seven 30 on Wednesday and it's at 8 PM on Saturday. Uh, yeah, you'd be, uh, be more than welcome yeah, to yeah. join. And by the way, uh, people don't realize, but all of our links are in the description box. People always want to know about our alternative channels because we can't put every show on, you know, certain uh, platforms, but we have all the other uh, platforms and stuff down in the description box, along with our Telegram channels. Yes. Thank you. So, yes, we would like that. Just send I, us I the link. Because I'm dealing with it right now. And just yeah. All the after effects and just, yeah, I really yeah. like that. Uh, you, well, the uh, if you believe in God, the Holy Spirit does show up. Yes, um, he does. And, and and it's a guarantee, and it's not a guarantee from Jeff, it's a guarantee from God that he right, promises right. he shows up at these things, and he does, and he does move in power. Mm-hmm. And we'd not, not only like to pray 
uh, for you, but we'd like to pray with you. And, uh, and we're praying and we'll pray for your parents as well, because, uh, you know, you have to understand they're good church going people. They had good intention and, you know, this, you know, something with great intention and now they might feel some shame, uh, mm-hmm. because of things that have happened. And, and look, that's, it's normal. Uh, there's no perfect people in this world. Uh, and by the way, uh, we don't accept perfect people into our prayer, no. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, but there's no perfect people, and you know they uh, they have human emotions just like each one of us, and there's different things that they have to deal with. And so I, I say that you know I just feel in my heart that they're probably very good people, and I pray for healing yeah. in that situation because I know it'd be yeah. important for you. And, uh, and Sylvia, we uh, definitely will connect as I get closer to launching. I will keep that in mind. And uh, as a reminder, rescue the fosters. Uh, did, did I say that right? Rescue the fosters.org. Yep, um, I, I haven't checked it out yet, but I certainly will check it out. Yeah. And uh, Well, we're still in the process of, of creating it. So it's not launched yet. Um, oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, so we're so it's coming up. It. Yes. It's and we'll up. give the audience a, an update. And, yes. Uh, so a lot of the thing that I'm uh, I'm I'm launching this thing called No Ghettos, and uh, it's really a mentoring program that can turn around communities. And oh, okay. I want to start off with one basic community and then roll it out uh, across the country. It's a duplicatable process. God gave me this years ago, and uh, it's just kind of kind of coming to be time right now. And and I think this is a very strong area that uh, we could focus on so i hopefully we will work together with this thing yeah yeah and i want to encourage you guys to look at grants um in your counties and cities as well because a lot of times there are grants out there available and they kind of hide them so you need to call your local representatives and ask them what grants are available for specific situations or just ask them for their list of grants that are going on right now because what they do I've learned that if the grant money is not utilized, they then dump it into the main fund. So they will try to go to areas that they know don't need certain services and, um, you know, kind of let let those people know that their grants exist. And then they don't go to the areas that they know actually need the grants to let them know the grants exist and to offer to help them obtain the grants. So I would encourage everyone to, you know, call their local representatives Mm -hmm and ask about grants. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I do have that list. So I'm glad you said that. Yep. Yep. All right. On that note, we have to be respectful of the time. KK, Sylvia, Christy, thank you very much for being on radio, right on radio. And remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself and make a difference in your community. Thank you.